Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. This week's episode is with our guest and friend, Ross Roddy. Ross is a talented and respected arborist, text accountant, podcaster, and YouTuber with a considerable following. His podcast, Fruit Talk, discusses how to grow and prepare all sorts of food, while his YouTube channel focuses on his specialty, figs. Figs are a delicious yet hard to find fruit, and they are one of the main topics of conversations in this week's episode. In this week's episode, Ross shares how he was able to turn his passion for figs into a lucrative and fulfilling side business over the years. He also recommends how an average person without his specialty can get involved with growing their own food and fruit in their backyard, their gardens, or even their apartments. We also discuss the meditative elements of gardening and nature's positive relationship on mental health. We hope you enjoy this week's episode of Discover More with us and Ross Roddy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Ross, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Ross, like we have explained in the introduction, you're one of the very few people that I know who has experiences in home gardening or growing orchards or even figs. So, and I reckon most people aren't very familiar with that industry or that realm. And we would love to ask you, why orchard, why figs, and what prompted you to start your whole journey more than 10 years ago? The whole journey kind of started actually right here in this basement where I actually work as an accountant and one year the basement got flooded and it kind of had a a, weird moldy smell. And as a kid, I had asthma. So kind of was weird with smells and other weird things like that. So I looked up on the internet. I was like, Hey, how do I, how do I fix this smell? Cause I don't, I don't want to deal with this if I don't have to, uh, cause I work here for most of the day. Right. Found on the internet that you can get house plants that will purify the air. And I was like, Oh, this sounds interesting. Plus I've always liked plants. So I go to home Depot, I go to Lowe's, get myself a bunch of house plants, tell myself I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to try my best to keep them alive. Right. Baby them the best I can. And then turns out I actually liked growing them. Did purify the air for anyone interested. There are particular plants that can do that. And then I was like, well, I love this house plant thing. Let me get more. <laughs> so I went out to Home Depot. I was like, I think at one time I came home with like 10 house plants. Uh, had them all, actually some in the office. I had some upstairs all over the house. Parents thought I was crazy. And then I decided, well, why am I growing all these house plants? Shouldn't I get something back in return? from these plants, right? So food was the first thing that comes to mind. And I always liked food. And I was thinking to myself, well, what is the one thing I can grow in the Philadelphia area that you can't find at the store? It's hard to find. I actually really like them. And the first thing that came to my mind was figs. Because my grandfather, when I was, I don't know, maybe 14 or 15, he came over to the house one day, super Italian guy, really crazy, 
just does goofy stuff all the time, you know, typical old Italian guy, right? And uh, he comes over to the house with these long branches and they're like four foot in length. And I was, I don't know about you guys, but I was taught as a kid not to bring the outside inside. <laughs> so I was like, Grandpa, what are you doing? You know, like you can't, can't just walk in the house with a bunch of sticks, right? But he's like, yeah, let me just show you what I'm doing, Ross. Don't worry, it'll all, it'll all make sense. So he takes me to the backyard and he's like looking around, trying to find a spot. And I'm like, what are you, what are you looking for? You know, I was like, what is going on? So eventually he stuck the branches in the ground and he tried to get them down into the ground as far as he could. Turned out he's like, yeah, Ross, these are fig tree branches. And I was like, why are you sticking them in the ground, right? He's like, oh, well, if put them in the ground, they're going to turn into trees. And I was like, what? You're telling me that he put a branch in the ground, it's going to turn into a tree? He's like, yeah, it'll grow roots. It'll put out leaves. You'll have a big tree in no time. So that was kind of like, you know, it, it didn't necessarily work out, by the way, because my dad <laughs> is like very against bees. And he, he grew up with a fig tree, which was my grandfather's tree. And he was like, yeah, the figs are going to attract the bees. And he's, he thinks he's allergic, but I've seen him get stung by a bee and he was totally fine. But anyway, uh, he basically ripped them out of the ground. But at least, you know, my grandfather planted the seed in my head of like, you could grow figs here. You can grow food here. Uh, even though I was mostly, honestly, ignorant to where my food even came from. So I started with the figs, got myself a couple trees online mail order nurseries you can buy them from and there were these little uh tissue culture plants they called them where they're actually grown in a lab it's kind of crazy and i grew them out for like a, a whole winter in my window upstairs that season i kind of just got the bug i was like holy crap you know this is awesome but of course i didn't know what i was doing right because everything you learn you kind of have to learn as you go right so started with the house plants they were relatively easy I also was kind of a novice at the time for a couple of years, just kind of got by, you know, I had issues with like fungus gnats and different things. It's just, it was a mess. But then I, you know, really was like, all right, well, I'm going to take this seriously because I want to know what I'm doing. And I, then again, just same thing, right? Googled on the internet, how to grow figs. And I found a community of people that are obsessed with growing figs, not just like they like it and it's like <laughs> some fun thing they do. This is like some people's lives, right? On that community, I met all these people. Some of them were at the time were twice, three times my age. I mean, I think I started when I was like 24, 25 or something. And then uh, I realized that these other people I met and made friends with, they were growing all this other stuff and they lived like right down the road or they were 20 minutes away. And I'm like, holy crap, you can grow plums and stone fruits and apples and pears. Even though there's literally an orchard two minutes down the road, I've lived here my whole life basically. And I just didn't click in my mind that you could grow food here in Pennsylvania. Like I thought it was too cold. You always associate growing food with like California or something or even Florida. So I was just like totally ignorant. And from there, I was like, okay, well, you can grow this. Let me try that. Let me just try one of everything. So I got like every fruit tree and every fruiting plant you could think of that you could grow here. Even some weird stuff and things that people have never even heard of, like uh, things like gumi and currants and goji berries and, uh, you know, all these weird different types of berries that you probably have never heard of. There's things called akibia and pawpaw and, uh, 
you can actually grow kiwi here. I mean, it's just Whoa. like, it's kind of incredible. Once I've learned, when I got all these, like one of everything, not only did I learn how amazing nature is and how the certain genetics of these plants, where they came from, will make them actually adapt pretty well to our climate, but I also got to taste these different things. And as I tasted them, I just realized, like, I've not only have I been ignorant to where my food came from, but I've been deprived as well. Like our food system is just a joke. And we, you know, really value our food system first and foremost on food security, which, you know, has a good place in the world and all that. But we've really sacrificed our health and, uh, you know, our pleasure for food security. Instead of breeding something for how long it can last on the shelf, we should be breeding something for, let's say, nutrients or, you know, flavor or, um, you know, instead of how nice the piece of fruit looks, I want the fruit to taste the best. You know, I want that experience like a nice bottle of wine, right? Why do people buy $300 bottles of wine? Is it really worth the $300? Probably not. But most of the time you get that really awesome experience and you're like, oh, that's why people do this kind of thing. So I kind of saw each fruit tree or each fruiting plant as like a bottle of wine, you know? So every single thing I tried gave me that awesome experience. And then also, again, expanded my mind to then realize like, oh my God, what have I been doing this whole time? Like I'm deprived. And uh, from there, it just went even further. And I, I guess I became even more obsessed with figs because I realized that figs particularly are one of the most genetically diverse fruits that exist. So there's a huge variety within them. The other cool part about figs is that uh, nobody owns the varieties. Like nobody owns the rights to these different varieties. So when I say variety, make sure you guys know what I'm talking about is like when you take an apple for an example, there's something called a Gala apple, a Fuji apple, right? The Macintosh, those are the varieties. So Believe it or not, in apples, there's 10,000 or more different varieties of just apples. And there's people crazy like myself who go out of their way to actually preserve these different varieties of fruits and will, believe it or not, uh, dedicate most of their life to collecting them, preserving them, tasting them, reviewing them, letting other people know that there's something better out there than like a gala apple, as an example. It's the same thing with figs is that people really have gone off the deep end. And I also realized, like I said, there's an even greater genetic diversity. Maybe there isn't 10,000 different varieties of figs, but there's certainly a huge difference in flavor and texture within one piece of fruit. It's kind of insane. You know, people go really crazy for, interestingly enough, one particular fruit really resonates with them. Maybe they had it as a kid or whatever it is and, and they just got hooked and then they just go down this rabbit hole. And I also realized after learning enough about not just figs, but there's, believe it or not, there's people out in the world doing this for like many different things. It's not just fruit. It's not just vegetables. There are people who are like preserving weird things in their lives or really dedicating a lot of their life to one particular thing for a good cause, as weird as it is, it's surprising to see that people are actually doing this. Definitely, man. You said a lot of interesting things there. Specifically, I'm fascinated with the conversation on the food system, and I definitely think we can kind of loop back around to that in the macro. But while we're on the more specifics of 
growing the figs and you mentioned preserving certain varieties of things. I'm definitely curious about what that preservation process looks like. Is it you're trying to keep the, I guess, genetics of a specific fruit or a specific fig going over and over again so you can like pass that variety similar to the gala apple but pass that variety of figs to other people and then similarly does that variety become like almost like a patent kind of thing like would that be your type of fig that you've preserved for a long time i was wondering if you could kind of just speak to that of what this whole preservation process looks like yeah i mean it's it's different in every fruit and vegetable um I guess in terms of figs, I could explain it a little bit easier. You know, if I, let's say I wanted to preserve tomatoes, all I do is save the seeds every year. And a lot of people who save seeds, they'll take the seeds out of the tomato, they'll let them sit there and dry out, and then they plant them next year. But oddly enough, the crazy thing about nature is that, let's say I have a very stable variety of tomato, like uh, there's one called pink brandywine. It's been around for a very long time. It's an heirloom. It's beautiful. It's uh, one of the tastiest tomatoes that exists. The thing about that one, even though it's been so stable and it's been growing so many years and people have been saving that seed every year, it does adapt slightly every single year to your particular climate. Maybe even your growing conditions, maybe you're really big into watering a lot or something, or maybe you have a lot of organic material in your soil, or maybe the summers are very hot. The tomato believe it or not, all of these plants are going to slowly adapt to that climate to then sort of, in a sense, be better at growing in that climate. You can even take like a the largest tomato as an example. Let's say you wanted the biggest tomato, you want to breed it, you want to have the biggest tomato, but you're going to take the seeds from the largest tomato every year because it's likely that tomato is going to have the genetics to actually have and produce offspring from those seeds that will produce a larger tomato. I think it's a little bit less difficult with figs as an example or other fruit trees because they're perennials and they're there for you know many years. One form of preserving, uh, at least in general, I would say, is just share them with your friends or you can sell them, give them away, you know, whatever it is, because the more people that have these things that are important to you, the more likely that they're going to continue on. For me, though, it's really about at least preserving in, in my yard is really focused on first and foremost, finding out what's good and then preserving what I think is good for this particular climate, because figs, as an example, you know, they're really difficult actually to grow in this climate, mostly because of the humidity, the amount of rain that we get in the summer is just too much. It really ruins the fruit quality. Whereas other, you know, fruit trees, they don't necessarily seem to mind the humidity as much yet. They're going to struggle with disease and things like that. But uh, the fig is, other than maybe the rain in the summer, is pretty much problem-free if you can solve the winter survival part of it, which is another whole thing. Yeah, I think mostly just keeping your trees alive throughout the winter and then spreading around the branches. Because as my grandfather did, you get these long branches, you can put them in the ground, and they will they will turn into the trees. I mean, it's really that incredible. So that's, I think that's mainly what I'm doing. I was working a little bit with people who actually have land in different parts of the country. I have a friend in uh, Louisiana, I have a friend in California, and I've sent a lot of varieties to them and we've kind of traded back and forth. There are people though that are way more serious about this. There's a grower in California that's got probably close to a thousand varieties. Cool. 
There's a guy in Florida who's got, uh, you know, 300 to 500 varieties. So there's people who are very, very much more serious than myself. And I've decided because of that to really just focus on what does well here. Why preserve every single variety? You know, if it doesn't do well here, it's not going to necessarily help in the bigger sense, even though it could be important, let's say, somehow genetically for the future. But yeah. Yeah, this is extremely fascinating because I've never had any sort of a surface level conversations or in-depth conversations about the genetics of figs, the preservations that need. And I didn't realize how altruistic the preservation process is because I think in every other aspect of our lives, we operate from the scarcity mindset. But for you guys, you guys want to spread the seed as much as possible to maximize the preservation effort by inviting as many collaborators to collectively preserve the seeds for the sake of humanity or for the sake of future. And it's very ironic because the catalyst for you was your grandpa bringing in the branch and planting the seed in the backyard. Ironically enough, he wasn't able to plant the seed because your dad broke the branch, but the seed was nonetheless Mm -hmm. planted in your mind. And therefore you dedicated the past 12 years towards this fig's journey, which I think is incredible. And it's just funny to see. And I guess the question I want to ask is, how do you approach that scarcity mindset? And is what I just described, would that be accurate to say that maybe for the communities of figs, for whether you sell the seeds, whether you self-preserve the seeds, or you give seeds away for free so that you can maximize the effort? Uh, what does that collaborative environment look like? Or is the figs community cohesive as I would just described? Well, the fig community, the communities, there's multiple now. They there's a lot of uh, pettiness on all honesty. It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. not the nicest I made a lot of friends and there's a lot of good people that grow food in general, but it's not really the nicest environment. I would say, um, it is quite collaborative, but most people don't have that mindset, you know, in terms of preserving, I don't necessarily have, that isn't my first and foremost mindset either. It's more about, I want to be able to offer something to people, that live in a climate similar to ours that always had a fig tree, let's say when they were growing up and they, let's say they just lost it or they, maybe it died or maybe they moved and they have always wanted that experience again when they had it like as a kid. And now they live in a climate like mine that is not very conducive to growing figs. So I want to teach people and educate them about first and foremost, how do you do that? What are some of the better methods to really like super maximize your production on this whole thing? And then really about the varieties specifically is to give them good varieties that they can use in their climate. Cause there's certainly, like I said, there's such a huge variety of genetics. Um, some varieties are going to do much better than others. And it's just kind of a shame when people are kind of just bashing their head against the wall on a variety that let's say doesn't even ripen here. Like it won't even ripen in time because it's just too late of a variety. So you know, they got to have the genetics first and foremost. I always say that is like, it's not just enough to be able to know how to grow figs and do it well, but you also have to have the genetics too. Like, you know, you and I, all of us, we can only be so tall. We can only get so strong. You know, we can only do so many things that says our genetics can say, that's what we do. So if somebody's trying to grow a fig here, let's say that splits all the time or molds or ferments very easily, you're just not going to have success and you're going to, you're going to hate what you're doing. You know, you're not going to enjoy it. So yeah, it's more about the mission of like getting people the information 
that they need to actually be able to do this well here, I think is, is my greater goal. Because information will ultimately drive the success later. We talk a lot about the nature versus nurture balance, and it sounds like that's the exact process within orchards and gardening itself, right? You need to have the nurture of the specific genetics, as well as the, I'm sure there's a lot of work on the other side. So is that research kind of in the preliminary stages, right? You're figuring out what species typically from like information boards or something, and then once you have those figured out, I was wondering if you could just speak to kind of that balance of nature versus nurture. Like, I assume it's a lot of work to take care of all of these things. You mentioned that figs don't do well with water, but as you mentioned, it rains a ton here in the summer. But I've always internally thought that the main time to grow stuff was in the summer. So how do you grow stuff in the summer when it can't you know what I mean? It's just like a strange concept for me. How are you growing stuff when it doesn't want water in the time that rains the most? Bit of a tongue twister, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's, it can be kind of confusing, at least with water, is that, you know, it's got to be summer, like you said, for this stuff to grow. Because like us as humans, we have a certain metabolism, certain temperature that we like to operate at, right? It's what is it, 96.8 or something for the average person. So every uh, fruit and vegetable is the same way every plant is the same way insects are the same way right so they're you can kind of view them as a cold-blooded a plant Mm -hmm. and that they need to have those higher temperatures to be able to metabolically be active otherwise they're dormant and they're not doing anything so if it's really warm that's what figs like they like a more desert dry warm environment and they're kind of like a cactus in a sense and how that they absorb water and then they store it within their branches. It's really quite incredible. Um, so they're extremely drought tolerant and they've been adapted to those drier conditions. So when it rains here in the summer, they really don't like that in terms of the fruit quality. The fruit really suffers. And in fact, it's not just with figs, really pretty much across the board in almost all temperate fruits that you can grow in like North America, they really don't like a lot of water. And that's a big reason why California, where it's very dry, they have such a big business over there for orchards and for growing fruit. And why they're, everyone says, oh, it's the California sun, but it, it's really not the sun, it's the soil and it's the dry weather. So, you know, if you actually something, if you do something called dry farming, you're going to increase the bricks in the fruits and you're gonna increase potentially even the nutrients um, so a BRICS is just an indicator of soluble sugars and you can get like a little refractometer it's called uh, refractometer that you can measure. You could put like a little bit of liquid sugar dripping from, let's say an orange, you could squeeze it out onto the refractometer. It'll tell you how much BRICS is in the fruit. And that's a good indicator, like I said, of fruit quality, how good it's going to taste, how much nutrients it probably has. Um, usually even how long it's been on the tree. A lot of these fruits and vegetables that you get from the store, this is kind of a big part of it, is that they don't pick the fruits properly. So they pick them really for the most optimal storage ability. If I'm an orchardist, professional orchardist, and I'm growing something like peaches, and I, you know, I'm like trying to really decide when do I want to pick my peaches? Because they would do this all at once, right? They don't want to make this more work for themselves. What orchardist is going to go out there and pick like five peaches a day 
come back in and then send five peaches to market, right? They want to get all their peaches all at once and then ship them out. So what a peach grower does, and this is why, in all honesty, I will never eat a store-bought peach again is because they pick the peach when it's almost sort of, it's hard, basically the right color. And once that color shows and you, you see less green and maybe uh, darker shades of yellow and it starts to turn maybe a little bit orange, then they're like, oh, the peach is now going to start to turn soft. And if the peach turns soft, well, then I'm screwed, right? How am I going to sell a soft piece of fruit? People aren't going to buy that. You're going to buy a mushy piece of fruit, right? Actually, it's going to be more likely that it's going to ferment. It's going to be more likely it's going to mold. It's going to cause a mess in the store. So the honest truth, though, is that if you can pick it right off of the tree when it's soft and fully ripe, it's going to have the most bricks. It's going to taste the best. It's going to blow you away. That's why we've been deprived, honestly, is like they, part of it is not just the genetics, right? There's some varieties that just simply taste better than others, but it's also when you're picking this thing. So yeah, I don't know if I, I hopefully I answered your question there, but uh, such a big part of this whole equation, I think. Yeah, totally answered it. It's definitely really interesting to think about it because personally in Philly, starting to see a bit more of a movement towards the local produce, the local farmers, there's like a farmer's market that sets up a few blocks down the road for me every week. And it's just exciting to see, I guess, that movement kind of taking form. And what would you say to people that are looking to get started in this trying food that isn't from the store? Like for you to say that I'm never going to try a store-bought peach again, I think speaks a lot to A, the problems of the current food industry, but then also the power of growing your own fruit. Like clearly you've learned the appreciation and the beauty of this whole growing process. So what would you say to people that want to get involved in this industry, want to start supporting growing your own foods, but might not have the capacity to start growing things in their own backyard? Yeah, that's a great question, Aiden. Honestly, I think a lot of people probably are at that point. And uh, I would say first and foremost, if you're thinking about it, just do it, you know, like, like Shia LaBeouf, just do it. You know, like, uh, <laughs> honestly, I think, uh, people get sort of hung up on just like doing anything in their life. Like just go out there and like do whatever it is. Even if you fail, it's like, whatever, you know, you're going to learn from your failures and you're eventually going to learn how to do it. So I don't know. I think people, it's very daunting. And I, we talked about before this podcast started about learning the piano and it's just like, it's such a difficult thing to learn, but if you don't put it in the time, how are you ever going to learn? You know? So, um, I think people need to just get past that daunting phase. Cause there's like a phase of anxiety in everyone's mind. And it's like, Oh, this is just too hard. This is just too difficult. I don't think growing food is difficult. It really is. It, uh, there's really some basic information that everybody can learn. It's really quite uh, simple to understand. If you can just get that down, you have like the fundamentals to do anything you want. It's really more intricate when it comes to like each individual fruit and vegetable becomes a little bit more difficult to grow. Now, what would I say to these people, uh, how they could start doing this? Maybe, you know, they're in an apartment or something or they're trying to get into this now. Um, I would say first, first off, if you're a foodie, you should just do this. Like you're, I don't even think you can call yourself a foodie. No offense. If you don't grow your own food, like there's too many people out there who say that they're a foodie 
and all they do is consume all this good food. If you don't make food or you don't grow food, you're not a foodie. Like that's my, that's my take, uh, or a true foodie, I should say. Maybe I'm a snob, just truthfully. <laughs> like I said, I can't eat store some store-bought vegetables and, and fruits like tomatoes, strawberries, uh, figs. Like there's so many fruits and vegetables that, like I said, they just pick them too early and, and they lose all that flavor and you're, it's like you're eating water. You know, people like, I've heard this so many times growing up and even I thought this as a kid, it's like salad is like eating water, right? I'm sure you guys have heard that, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's really not if you just grow the salad yourself and grow the right varieties of salad, they can really get interesting. So yeah, I would say for a foodie, you got to do that. If you're just trying to get into this, you don't know where to start. Hopefully you have some land because growing in the ground is going to be better than growing in a pot or a container. But if you can grow something in a pot and a container, just do it because like you're going to have success, maybe limited success, but you're going to learn how to do this, the value of it. I mean, it's really easy and obvious. I think if you can just get past a little bit of a hurdle to then understand what I've been saying throughout this podcast to like, not just hear it, but like actually like it clicks in your mind and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. So if you can get past that and just get that, you might catch some sort of bug and like want to go out and do this even more. I think uh, going to a farmer's market and getting vegetables that were picked from farmers isn't also really going to do it justice either. You know, like uh, there's a whole nother level to this. There's a really, there's a few levels to this. So there's like, you go to the store, normal grocery store, you buy your food, right? That's the bottom level. Next level, you go to a farmer's market, you get it from a farmer, he grows it. That's probably the next upper tier. The next tier after that is growing it yourself, picking it yourself at the right time, and also getting the right variety of that particular fruit or vegetable. Because again, they're gonna taste better than, let's say the farmer's market guy, unfortunately, he still has to be able to sell the fruit. So you need some genetics in that fruit or vegetable that's gonna be like sellable. Unfortunately, not all the time, they're even picking them at the right time either. So. Yeah, it really does just depend. There, there are some things though you can get away with, I will say, like at a farmer's market that are gonna really rival what you can grow at home. And some people might be able to do it better. So I don't wanna just totally say, don't go to a farmer's market, but you're way better off trying the stuff at home. Every single thing is so intricate and interesting. Like there's some carrots as an example that really have this perfect texture. They're not very crunchy, like but difficult to eat. They're just like, super melting your mouth, almost creamy in a sense. There are even, uh, you know, different types of raspberries that have different flavors. So there's red raspberries and pink raspberries, and yellow raspberries, purple raspberries, depending on the color of the fruit, depending on the color of the vegetable, they're going to have different flavors associated with that color. And it's going to totally change your opinion on, let's say raspberries. Maybe you, you grew up not liking them. Well, if you tried a pink raspberry, you might like, them. you know, actually, the pink and yellow ones are kind of my favorite. Same thing with tomatoes. I mean, people probably, I know I have a couple of friends that don't even eat anything that's green. It's kind of insane. How do you know you really don't like these green vegetables or even fruits? Like if you've never actually grown them right off the tree and tasted them like that, it's just, it's just like a totally different experience. So if you're interested at all in this, I'm sure you're eventually going to do this, but you got to try at least something. I mean, you can grow a ton of food in a container, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, those are 
some pretty good tips right there. Yeah, and of course, um, for the listeners, Ross does have a YouTube channel that is dedicated to his uh, fixed techniques and everything in between. So obviously, we'll link those in the information below for people who are excited and inspired by you to want to start this process. And I think even on a more tangible level, the flavors aside, I know you talked about like because we don't know what we don't know, right? And we've been deprived of certain flavors, the true essence of what a fruit or vegetable should taste like. People don't know what they're missing out because they are blessed by that ignorance. However, for you, fortunately and unfortunately, you've had the opportunity to reveal that ignorance, reveal that curtain, and you've been to the other side, right? And over the past pandemic, I'm not sure if you noticed, but there has been an increasing numbers of houseplants. A lot of people started to grow plants together. Our mutual friend Navin also started to grow pot plants. The last time I checked, he didn't really take care of it, so the plants died. But definitely is a, a place for such need. But what I want to uh, point out and ask you is the tangible benefits of flavors aside, the process itself is as close to deferred gratitude as you can because after you've put in all the work three years two years down the line i can't even imagine that level of gratifications i'm sure it must have been very gratifying to see all your efforts every single day every single week every single month for the past years to come into literally fruition Um, how would you talk about that in terms of the that experience of removing yourself from the process because Tree or fig isn't something you can accelerate the process. It's not something like, oh, I'm going to pour times three dosage of water. Maybe it would accelerate the process. That doesn't exist. You have to let the nature take its course. So I love to shift from the technicality of growing figs into the more mindset of some of the lessons you've taken away from learning to defer your gratifications, learning to detach from the process and let, let the nature take its course. Yeah, dude. I mean, you're totally right about that. What's that brain chemical that when you see someone else succeed, like maybe it's your kid or you're really proud of somebody, there's the brain chemical that uh, you sort of produce. Like you watch um, someone who's like disabled on some video and they're doing something amazing. There's a particular uh, brain chemical. It's not, I forget the name of it. Is it serotonin or dopamine? In either case. That chemical, whatever it is, is like it really does – you get that kick in your mind because you feel like you really did accomplish something. You know, it's, it's cool to see a tree that you planted six or seven years ago and what it turned into. And it's nice to be able to like, look back on these things, you know? Um, I think there's definitely that big part of it is like you get to, at the end of the season, when you harvest all this stuff, you get to put your arms up in the air and be proud. You know, it is a lot of work and there's a lot of, uh, especially if you're doing a lot of different fruits and vegetables, it can be very challenging because each, like I said, each thing is so different than the other. So I would honestly also go to say that it can really help with things like um, mood disorders that people might have. So, you know, maybe you're depressed, anxious, bipolar, whatever it is, this could really, these chemicals that you get from these plants, it's pretty special, I think. Um, it can really boost your confidence and make you feel like you did something good. I don't, you know, it's um, definitely a good thing. I think a lot of people should try to do it, at least, you know, plant a tree, at least. Uh, if, you're gonna, if you want to grow weed, that's uh, that's up to you. You can do that. But I think there's there's definitely some value in it. But there's probably a lot of value actually in growing weed. Not that I've ever done it. But the same thing could be said for weed. Like there's all these different strains of weed. And as you guys probably know, that they all do different sort of things. You know, to your mind, you have different effects in your body. It's all because of the genetics. So 
Ben, does that answer you? I think, I don't remember you had another part to your question, I thought. Yeah, it does. Uh, I do want to stay on that topic for a bit because I know during our offline conversations, you've disclosed some of your vulnerable moments in the past, especially for the past pandemic. I know you've had to sacrifice a lot of aspects of your life, studying for a big exam in your current timeline. So uh, since I don't know too much about the tangible benefits you talked about, like the chemicals that are released, but obviously we know that trees are good for us. Like there's direct impact about how we feel the ecosystem, what the trees, the oxygen releases, everything in between. But since I don't know too much about it, I'd love to zoom in into your anecdotal experience for a bit. And could you explain to us further about or elaborate on uh, some of the tangible benefits you've directly received in terms of your own mental health and some of the challenge you've dealt with? Because to truly articulate what you're trying to deliver, uh, myself and the listeners may need a couple more tangible, more concrete examples. Yeah, well, they actually there was a study, I believe, I don't know where, I don't know how you find the study, but I've heard about the study that uh, even if you just stick your hand in soil, the microbes in the soil will make you happy. Hmm. So you just go outside and play in the soil, you be in nature. I think just being in nature is obviously very peaceful. I think that can certainly help with people's mood. Um, but I do believe there is something that happens. I don't, I wish I could concretely tell you about whatever it is and put it into words, but just connecting, I guess, with nature is just like vitally important, I think, to being a part of humanity, being a part of this earth. For me, at least, my tangible benefits was that it did certainly help with my depression that I had quite severely when I first started. And then it, it became very mild and it was lingering for quite some time. It certainly, I could tell you firsthand, at least from my experience, it definitely can help with that. Um, like I said, just getting your hand in the soil and, and doing something that feels like you, like every year that goes by, everything gets larger and larger, bigger and bigger. You get more fruits, more of this, more of that. It just exponentially grows. So it's just a great feeling to always have, to be able to look outside and see all my trees and be like, wow, you know, that's something cool I did. The two ideas that are coming to mind from what you've said are growth and connection, right? So growth, both in the trees themselves, the figs themselves, the size of the lot, the process of growing these trees, and then even internally yourself as a gardener, as an orchardist, that skill set is growing time after time. You're learning more, being able to give better advice around you know certain challenges that might come up, or even just your experiences are really growing and allowing you to become a better both orchardist and person overall and then connection equally so i'm sensing the connection within the fruits themselves and back to nature right you said i mean the happiness study with the soil i think is fascinating and i definitely want to try and scour the internet for that one because i'm sure there's a lot of interesting data in that study and similar studies related to that because the connection with the earth while you're gardening is clearly a big part of it. But I'm also sensing a sense of connection with yourself, right? Like getting able to connect. And I'm sure while you're gardening, there's a lot of times to think, to process, to reflect what worked, what didn't work. So I think the growth seems like a bit of the obvious answer of obviously the fruits are going to get bigger, the lots are going to get bigger. But I was wondering if you could speak to the connection side of how is this arborist fig process slash journey helped in your journey of connection, whether that be 
externally, giving these figs away to family and friends, or even connecting to yourself and learning about yourself in that process? Yeah, you know, it's nice to be able to give back in some way. I think in anything, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's why people help people at all. Like, it's just, it's just a nice feeling. Um, I certainly think through my YouTube channel, through my podcast that I've shared with people, is that I've certainly helped a lot of people how to grow figs in a more humid place, in a more colder place. So, you know, for me, I think that's part of giving back. And maybe some people might disagree with that. You know, that's up to them. But I think uh, for at the end of the day, I can always be proud of something that I did. I think in terms of connecting to nature, there's, uh, you know, I also, I forgot to mention with Ben's question is that it's pretty meditative, you know? Like it definitely de-stresses you. That was one of the things, cause I've been kind of stressed lately. I was telling you guys, um, and they, everything I looked up to like try to de-stress always in that list was gardening. And it's true. I can't garden right now. It's just too cold, but, uh, hopefully in a, actually a couple of weeks, I'll start my season. I'll tell you, this is a weird feeling to see the green just see all that green growth in the beginning of the season. It just like gives you this amazing feeling that it's hard to explain. It's so clean and pristine and new. It's like a baby being born in a sense. It's all your plants just now waking up and, but they're born like every year, you know, they go to sleep and then they wake up and it's just like, and even starting seeds, like seeing all that new green growth, it just gives you this weird sense of calm. Um, I will, uh, also say that something that has happened to me with connecting to nature is I don't look at plants the same way as I used to. Mm. People may not even notice nature, you know, just walking around or something, you know, uh, people are very stressed and they have this narrow vision all the time. But, you know, when I walk around most of the time in nature, I'm trying to really take it in and I'm trying to observe nature more so than I used to just with a better understanding of how nature works. Also, oddly enough, I think a lot of architects could probably relate to this where an architect could see a building and then look at the building and analyze it and say, oh, this is probably how the building was built. This is probably how it was constructed or maybe there's a support beam there or there's a whatever, you know, and they can visually see a building and look at it differently than other people can. It's the same thing with trees in that Maybe I don't know everything that the tree went through in its entire life, but I could certainly look at a tree that's maybe 50, 100 years old and have a good sense of what it looked like when it was younger. You know, um, as the tree gets older, what happens to the tree and how it ends up putting out different branches and the different forms of different trees and not only observing the different species and different varieties maybe of trees, but what they actually looked like throughout their life. There's so many levels to this. It's, it's, uh, I think that's one tangible thing that I've definitely gained over this period. I wouldn't say I'm like some Zen hippie because of this, <laughs> you know, like, like I didn't just become like super woke or something and just, I don't know, like still struggle, you know, but it definitely, I think with anything you learn, you learn not just about it gives you a different perspective on life, but it, you can also learn about how things relate to each other and how that all kind of relates to nature. Cause everything is really a part of nature, whether you believe it or not, I guess, but you guys understand this, right? You know that everything's related, but do you really know, you know what I mean? Like that's going back to the thing of like, you gotta have experienced this, you know what I mean? Like it's not just enough to hear 
that life lesson. It has to really click. Otherwise, it's just words, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that is so powerful because to respond to what you just said, I call that the knowledge gap. There's always a gap, inheritance gap between knowing something and feeling something. People like us, Aiden and myself, we know that everything's connected, the ecosystem, the power of nature. At least I haven't felt it. I will speak for myself. I haven't felt that oneness from nature unless I go hiking, unless I go to Denver, unless I go to specific places. But even that's a little bit skewed because I'm paying money to get on the plane to this metallic vehicle where, like you talked about, nature is literally around us, whether we believe it or not. And that's just so powerful. And it's very funny because it sounds like to me you learned the power of stillness through nature. And stillness is the essence of meditation, right? Is to be still. And if you ask me, what is the most still thing in this world? Nature. Because they just are. The trees just are. It's not about trees should be, could be, would be. Tree just is. And it makes sense to me why you were able to derive this meditative experiences from planting trees because you're always moving, your hands is moving, you're collecting dirt, you're doing something to soil, you're collecting the fruit. But trees are just there, right? You're just the passenger of the experience, but trees just is. And I wanted to highlight that because I think that's very powerful. I came across this documentary on Netflix called My Octopus Teacher. Octopus? Yeah, it sounds stupid, but it's called My Octopus Teacher. Hear me out. Is this the one with the octopus that he becomes friends with it or something? Yes. So it talks about this uh, really, really prominent uh, filmmaker. He is very well known. But he almost dedicated too much towards his work. So his relationship was falling apart. His wife was going to leave him. His relationship with his son became strained. So he decided to depart from his filmmaking for a year. And he's from South Africa, right? And there is this little area where he just went back to swimming to his roots. Because in South Africa, there's a lot of water. He grew up swimming. He grew up with the nature. And he realized that the part of himself that he cares about the most became too detached from nature. And he became too caught up in the filmmaking process. And he came across this octopus. I don't want to give away too much spoiler because I really think, especially you, Ross, I think you would love this experience. But basically, like, octopus is exceptionally intelligent. Like, they're one yeah. of the most ancient and intelligent creatures in this world. It is, um, I, I didn't know idea octopus is smart. I don't know if I could yeah, ever yeah. eat octopus again. I'm already a pescatarian, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Anyway, so, but it talks about the real life lessons this guy took away from this octopus. And he was able to repair his relationships. He was able to reignite his passion for filmmaking, all that through nature. And octopus is part of the nature. Just like you, you are able to derive real tangible life lessons from this seemingly trivial thing, just growing figs. Especially after the documentary, I felt that power just from your descriptions. And I already talked about a lot of the benefits are indescribable, but I try to put myself during your storytelling to put myself in your shoes and relating to my experience with the Octopus Teacher documentary. And it really reaffirms what that documentary was trying to depict is that nature is so powerful. And the only resistance and the barrier is us. Like, especially as content makers, right? We're always in the process of doing, 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 building, 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 creating, creating, creating. But if you think about it, everything we've created are artificial. We, we're creating an Instagram post. We're creating a podcast episode. Those are not real things. Like they're just artificial things we're creating. But you, you actually yeah. partook in a real creation process. 
you actually created a real life organism like trees. That's why I was interested about your mindset about the chemical release or some of the experience you took away from that because there is a fundamental difference between creating an Instagram post or versus creating a real life because there is life in the trees. And I wanted to share that reflection because it really struck uh, my core and I really could relate on a lot, especially with that powerful documentary um, I've watched recently. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with you, but I don't want to take away from someone who creates an Instagram post because oh yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> maybe it's not real, but it's real if you think it's real. You know, like money, the dollar is is real because we we give it value. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of why gold and Bitcoin are starting to get some attention. Yeah. Is like they actually have a gold at least is physical, whatever. It's shiny. It's whatever we believe. It's it's real, right? So I don't know. I think. Certainly, there is a part of that that is like a permanent fixture. I can always go back and view my Instagram posts and say, oh, that was a cool Instagram post, but it's almost like creating a house. You know, creating a house is such a beautiful, rewarding thing to do. Uh, not that I've ever done it, but it must be because when you see the end result, of like what you did, or really, really just anything, honestly, you put a lot of time and energy into it. Yeah, what am I saying? I mean, Let me, I uh... agree with you, but I don't agree with you. Yeah, let me uh, recontextualize myself because I don't want to piss yeah. off all the content creators <laughs> on the internet. Because no, we don't, are... screw that. We don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> no, so let me provide a quick example. So I've been into the field of epigenetics lately uh, because my girlfriend's uh-huh. going to be a doctor soon. So we talked about a very interesting scenario with a previous guest over in Paris, and it was basically about if Aiden and myself got into an accident, and Aiden is awake but his body's dead but i entered coma it's it's a long story but basically if his head gets implanted into my body who are we but the point was you were asking is the head truly the motherboard or the epicenter of our bodies or is it the heart uh, becky and i we were talking about the actual scientific uh, findings of that right and this is what she said like there's neurons all throughout our bodies right our fingers is comprised of all the neurons and mm-hmm. by touching trees by touching soil by touching the computer by touching any inanimated objects or animated objects there's signals get fired through the neurons and our neurons through our fingertips or through our body sends those signals to our brain and all our brain is doing is your brain is simply processing the signals from the neurons that are fired up from touching or from whatever and then your brain as the motherboard dedicates tasks to execute certain things to make sure you're functional. Um, and what I meant by what I said is what, what you're creating is real. Like when you're touching or when you're interacting with soil, there's reciprocations. Like you're directly receiving microbiomes or something from the soil to your neurons, which then fires up to your body. So you're literally receiving things through interaction with nature. But when you're interacting with computers or phones, there's no reciprocations. You're not you're not receiving anything because if there's no interactions. That's what I meant. I think what you're getting at is things that are not very artistic because if it's art, it's going to make you feel a certain way, right? Maybe that's the definition of art, uh, some people would say. So I will give you the credit, though, and say that, yeah, you're right. Like doing this is important and it's special and people should do it. Like I think there's, you know, probably someone really wise could probably come up with a really long list of things that they're like, Oh, you know, I've lived a long time and I've done all these things. And I just think everybody should do these particular things. Growing food is like something everybody should do at least some point in their lives. I think that's like, it just seems like a a basic thing. Like I guess in its basic level, not even just growing food, but like 
connecting with nature is like something everybody should do, try to do and try to get to like a higher level of it. You know, I just started getting into meditation and obviously there's different levels of how deep you get into a meditation, right? So probably for me, at least one of my goals is to get into a deeper state of meditation to see what that's all about, what that's like. Without a doubt, at least for me, from my perspective, everybody should try to connect with nature and an easy way to do that would be to grow food. Definitely. And from what I'm hearing from both of you, it's emotions aside, hobbies aside, but it's that sense of aliveness that I think is what you guys are both almost talking about. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Ross, but I'm speculating that the reason why growing food might be at the top of your, I guess, favorite things to do list is because you're actually, it's essentially giving birth. Like outside of having a kid and maybe owning a dog, this is like one of the few things where you're actually like bringing up something that's like a living being. I think anyone yeah. can get that sense of fulfillment and purpose and pride from writing something, drawing something, or creating something in the, you know, technological state. But really having it be alive on the other side is almost, I see, is the key piece that almost brings what you guys are both alluding to together. It's like you can get the purpose from other things, but there's very few things besides plants, people, and animals that have that sense of being, that have that sense of aliveness. Um, and really, sorry, well, maybe I just, I agree with that. It's just, maybe I don't know what that is. Maybe I feel it, but I haven't really recognized it or really been able to put it too much into words, I think. Cause I agree with what you're saying. I agree with Ben. It's just hard for me to like really pinpoint that, you know, like, uh, yeah, I agree. Like I said, your plants wake up and it's like birth again, you know, mm -hmm. but I only have, I've only had really very limited experiences with life in that sense like i don't have any animals uh mm. never ha given birth you know so <laughs> never will I, yeah. <laughs> hopefully so i don't know i don't know maybe i'll think very differently about that in the future at some point um so yeah continue of Sorry. course yeah no i mean mine was completely speculative as well it's kind of just the sense of the reason why plants and gardening are so different than other hobbies I see is that sense of aliveness. Uh, my parents are both avid gardeners. It almost is a comically sized garden in our backyard. They'll do like 15 tomato plants every summer. Like my dad chews tomatoes like apples, which is a weird thing that I've just accepted. But when there's an abundance of tomatoes and to what you said, tomatoes grown on the plant and when you can pick them at their peak ripeness, their peak flavor, those things taste amazing. Um, so I've definitely grown up seeing the, I guess, purpose and passion that gardening can bring, but I personally haven't embarked on that journey yet. So from that's kind of where my speculation is coming from. I see what gardening has done for my family and it's that, you know, connection and aliveness and really growing the thing that I feel seems so different than a lot of other hobbies. You know, there's actually something alive on the other side of that hobby or you know, thing that you're spending time doing. Maybe it's overhyped. I don't know. I really, I think, <laughs> I think you're right. But like, again, I, it's, uh, it's so hard for me to like say it's a more interesting hobby because of that reason. It's just, it's like one of those grander questions than what I think you might be able to come. Like, it's like almost like approaching the meaning of life or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think the way Aiden put it, I also resonate with. He called your hobby of growing figs or being in tune with nature through a lens of life. 
And just to echo what you talked about, which I agree, because I think I was talking more on the physical level about the actual interactions between the neurons of us versus the soil, whereas you're alluding more towards the metaphysical about the purpose, the fulfillment, the feedback, the joy you feel from art. But I think whether it's art, whether it's music or growing trees, they're just different vehicles or different lenses to view life. And whichever brings the most joy and purpose and meaning and whichever you perceive as the most special, that's it. It's not about like woke Olympics, a term that I picked up recently, or it's not about a hobby Olympics. We're not competing. Oh, my hobby brings the most purpose. Fuck your hobby. It's not that, right? It's about whatever hobby it is that's specific to your need, as long as it's special to you. And as long as it helps you to view life, whatever that vehicle may be, it's special. Thank you for listening to the part one of our conversation with Ross Roddy. We will be releasing our part two next Monday on May 10th, where we discuss more in depth about his personal upbringing, life journey, and cause of fame. We hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.